Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their asses for 10 years. Welcome to the GR on a Thursday. Connor and Conan are here in studio with me as usual. And should we start with this Mayo thing, lads? Because I'm, I'm getting a little bit gassed out with it, and we'll have a say on. Just, I suppose, that press conference, then the county board statement. And I think this has brought a wrap pretty much this week to this whole story, unless there's some more, some more stuff um, to come out of it. There wasn't but more stuff from the press conference, so I don't see what more stuff yeah, could really come like, out of I mean, that's the thing. Now, I know there, were, there was 70 minutes recorded and there's only 40 minutes have seen the light of day, so we don't know what was in the other 30 minutes. But the the what's come out in the 40 minutes has been, like, unimpressive if you're talking about unsafe, unhealthy, personal and sensitive, and then you're talking about how your mental health has been affected. I think that's cynical. I think the language that's been used has been very, very dangerous. And for me, who have been involved in teams and panels and fallen out with managers all my life since I was 12 mm. uh, there's nothing in anything that they've said you come across managers that bark you come across managers that are like best friends with the players you come across managers that stand offish and this is all experience this is how you deal with this some managers might tell you very blunt with you that's a management style it doesn't make it does, it's not supposed to make you feel unsafe it's not supposed to be personal and sensitive so you have Sarah Tierney the captain so she did a lot of talking at it and she tried to paint a picture of how Peter and her relationship were. Now, you have to give context to this whole thing. Um, It's fair to say that for a good few years, there's been a core leadership within that Mayo panel that have pretty much ran the show. Like, I mean, that's the information I have. So when you're looking at Peter coming in here, he's trying to break up that kind of power group and he's trying to give everybody the same kind of you know standing in the panel the younger girls not to feel a little bit intimidated but maybe by the the girls with all stars or by these great players so so maybe he's coming down a little bit harder on these girls if they're trying to run the show like maybe they're used to so like I mean I'm trying to understand this so Sarah Tierney kind of in her own defence gives a couple of anecdotes that I'm like Sarah this is not 
this is not should not be said to defend yourself like this is actually mm-hmm. playing into Peter Leahy's hands like this is not a defence now the first one I'm a little bit kind of more relaxed about because I've seen players say things like this and they definitely say it amongst themselves so she comes back to the panel eight she's an all-star defender on my first night back the majority of the training was all running I made a passing comment to him like Jesus Peter it's going to be all running tonight or will it be any football I didn't mean anything malicious by it it's not my character the following night I received a phone call from Peter about the comment I made and he basically attacked me on the phone now her account of it is that Peter says you can F your all stars and all this kind of thing I thought that was very very over the top from Peter I Mm. rang him about it and he's completely denied that he said anything like that so you have to take who you believe in that scenario whether it be Peter or or Sarah he said the other uh, story she told about what he said to her after the next one we'll get to he said that's true but he said under no circumstances because I was thinking while she has no business saying that in front of people she's overstepping the mark to be saying <laughs> put your fucking all stars yeah. wherever you want I thought that was too much he says he didn't do that so anyways I, so I you don't think he has to defend that though either like that's you know like some managers say things if he did say that yeah. it just means he's not it, great with people bit, bit of an asshole I would yeah. say like, that's what I, like you know I'd say you've said I didn't deserve that it was yeah. a bit of an outburst but again not not, he's not on kind. trial for being an asshole exactly you know? he's not on trial for being an asshole so like I mean this is the thing how many of us down through the years have always come out of the dressing room and we see cones set up yeah. and we're like oh Jesus and you talk amongst yourselves yeah. and I, you'd ask yourselves here anyone see any footballs no oh, for f- you know yeah, you're livid yeah. you're pissed off but you're not supposed to say that to the manager because that's overstepping the mark and again you have to remember the context of there being a leadership group that have kind of ran the show and maybe overstepped the marks and Lee he's trying to stop this so of course he's going to come yeah. down hard on that. It was her first night back as well. She yeah. had been doing exams, so she just came in. So he might have been thinking, "Where are you coming from on this as well?" So yeah, take that into account too. It hadn't been said before. So then this is the worst one. So again, this is her giving an example of this in her own defence, like trying to paint Peter in a bad light. Um, so he said we had a training in Rochford Bridge up the country at the end of training everyone had gone and I went up to Peter to say that we had an issue in the backs all season in the league we've been conceding high scores I said I think there's a massive communication issue here and if we can get past if we can get a past player to come in as a player or a guest coach to talk us through a few things that would add value to the setup. now that is the height of cheek, right? So let's actually break down what she's gone to the manager. Now, you have to remember Mayo made the league final. They're doing grand. Yeah. They're conceding. The information is is that Sarah Tierney was conceding a lot of scores. So there's a lot of self-preservation here. But to go to a manager and say, can we get a past player in as a guest coach? It's the ultimate insult. It's like, Peter, you're not able to, you're not able to tactically set up a defence and I want some past player. Imagine saying that to Mourinho. You know, like, yeah. I mean, you're obviously, you haven't played at the highest level, so you can't actually do this she wouldn't be my captain anymore if, if that's the kind of stuff she t- but it's just she's saying this in her defence yeah. it just goes to show how normalised these girls contributions were yeah. with management that they think they can go to a manager and say you're not doing this right yeah. and yeah. I know better was there a mix up in words there because like it, I heard her say this at the press conference as well that getting a guest pass player in as a player or did she, I, I she said it she, as a player I, or as a coach yeah, yeah. I, I, she, I think she was saying I, I a coach she, yeah. I think she meant a coach maybe there like, was nerves there the fact that she didn't realise that she was overstepping her boundaries there would make me a bit worried about the kind of control that they might have exerted before Peter Leahy came in that's because, exactly how I read uh, yeah, it yeah because any, any manager was, was is bound to take offence to that it, it's a direct it's a direct insult to your to your coaching thus yeah. far and probably as you said self-preservation kind of sparing yourself from the blame for what's gone before and I, 
just just quickly because I was talking or I was reading Malachy Clerkin had a good piece on this and he went down hard on both kind of sides and thought Leahy was a poor manager and he said all the best practice in running a sports team these days talks about a player centred approach facilitation enabling players to express the best of themselves all that good stuff and he's right but enabling players like a manager should always enable players and get their feedback when he asks for it this is not an open invitation to come and tell the manager that he's doing wrong that's not a healthy panel there has to be manager player and absolutely agree with Maliki that managers should always pick the brains of players mm. and say what do you think of this we're thinking of doing this but that's when they're they're open to these suggestions there's no yeah. there's a completely different thing to go to Jim Gavin and say Jim because I know Jim Gavin is an open manager and gets feedback from players but they don't overstep the mark by going to him and saying this isn't right because mm. then you're completely overstepping the line yeah and, and once again his state of coaching isn't what we're talking about like this is a national story because someone went on a national radio station and said the environment he created wasn't safe yeah. and it wasn't mm-hmm. healthy. It's a national story because of these very public complaints and people started making assumptions then because they didn't specify what happened. This is why everyone's talking about it. There were innuendos. People started jumping to conclusions, awful conclusions. Yeah. If this was about a state of coaching, we would just be talking about whether he's a bad manager or yeah. a good manager. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Like we would just leave it at that. Not, not that he's a bully or... Aggressive to women, which I've heard, or any of this Mm. nonsense. If they came out and said, look, he's a shit manager, we're not interested in it, we'll wait until a new manager comes in, you'd say, all right, that's fair enough, move on, there's nothing else to see here. Because Fiona McHale was saying that she was uh, talking about a player being called lazy, another being told they weren't committed, Mm. even though they've been at every training bar one. But being at every training doesn't mean you're committed, (laughs) it means that you have a good attendance record at training. That's not commitment. They're complaining about sprints the whole time. Yeah. And at the end of every group in the long runs all right just because I'm there and I'm ticking every box that's commitment that's completely got it all twisted but interestingly you see on Twitter is a girl Laura Newman who's played under Leahy for Westmead won won an intermediate All-Ireland with him and she's been very strong in her defence of Leahy and I think she's a very kind of objective person to talk about this because there's obviously a side that everyone's forgetting in the whole Mayo thing and that's the, the, the girls that stayed and yeah. back to manager because this is being sold as a players versus Peter Leahy thing it's not it's a players that dropped off who are the minority versus the manager versus their colleagues that stayed yeah. and versus the county board <laughs> so realistically this is not a 50-50 us versus them this is uh, 12 players that are completely the minority in comparison yeah. to who they're actually going against yeah, who and are, from you know, the same club and eight from the same club there you go yeah. like I mean that's you know, it's not it's not the same thing so Laura tweeted I have to agree with this she says having played with him and winning in All-Ireland I can tell you he was without, he is without doubt a very good manager this is written reply to Malachy Clerkin's piece who Malachy was obviously like I explained taking the point that he's obviously not you know much of a manager but she said I have to agree with this having played with him uh, under him was it she said I have to disagree with this mm. sorry having played under him winning an All-Ireland I can tell you he was without doubt a very good manager maybe people just flourish under different styles of management we certainly did in Westmead and then she retweets Ewan McKenna's piece which was outstanding again last night Ewan's on a roll like I mean he's, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's what a signing for the independent like I mean he's just it's, he's essential reading every Thursday now like you look forward to his pieces because they're so good 
and the great thing about you and he doesn't follow that PC agenda that the media that they're all scared to go against this it's terrible it's rife throughout the media it's so easy to jump on the other side Ewan is an independent thinker and I love him for it and he doesn't care and he always what he says is actually right yeah. he's just not going along with the easy you know what I mean the easy narrative but anyways we'll, we'll give you a quote out Ewan's piece just to wrap this up <laughs> he says so she says this a hundred times over this is Laura Newman and just a reminder that he won an All-Ireland with a team who two years previous had been in a relegation to go down to junior um, you just don't get there without being a good manager. So, like, I mean, like, I mean, there, that's a big statement from her, from a Westmead perspective, who kind of is acknowledging his style by saying maybe people just flourish under different styles of management. Yeah. And she's clearly saying there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. And even uh, I was going back, I saw a quote from Sarah Rowe there during the summer as well. Said she was very happy. Said she was very, he said he was tough, tough, tough. He said, she said tough three times, but said job as a coach, always give constructive criticism, only made us stronger and better players. Yeah. Which is just, that's, you know, it's the carrot and the stick approach. Some respond better to the stick, some respond better to the carrot. In this case, the, the majority of the panel responded better to kind of Lee style of management. I have to say, after the press conference, I did have a little bit of sympathy for Sarah Tierney because she did get a little upset when talking about that one particular meeting with Peter Lee. She, she said she's never been more intimidated in her life, drove home to, from training afterwards and said she'd never meet him again in a one-on-one situation without the player liaison officer. Then she said she was crying. She said, I I felt I had no other decision to walk away from Mayo football and you can't underestimate the fact how big a decision that was. You see, she didn't leave uh, for that though. I know, she left yeah. after Carnacon. So yeah. like, I mean, if, the, if I would find that more believable if she went I'm leaving the panel now because that, yeah. that conversation just was out of order yeah. but she waited until the other eight left and yeah. then given like you know what I mean but that incident in and of itself for her to feel that upset about it and then eventually leading to her yeah. walking away she's been with the senior team since she was 15 but what it boiled down to is that it didn't still didn't as upsetting as it was for Sarah Tierney it still didn't boil down to the unsafe or unhealthy environment yeah. that they were saying that was the reason why they yeah. left the panel and that's the this. thing and I, like if a girl's crying you're obviously going to have sympathy and yeah. whatever. but like I mean being intimidated is subjective yeah of, like, course, what's, of course what I'm intimidated what I'm intimidated by somebody else might go Jesus you yeah. know what I mean so yeah. where do you stop exactly, on this was yeah. it you have to say were you inti- was she intimidated yes should she have would someone else is is he being intimidating so you know what I mean I know, yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah, the difference yeah, yeah, that's the difference yeah. here and most importantly like as you said she, she did have the option just to walk away he's the manager yeah. like you spoke about Mikko and feeling isolated under him and you're yeah. peacefully and like you know that happens and how many people this year have left panels they just they don't like the manager they're not getting a look in and they just leave like we don't need to go through the national press to to talk about why you left yeah, just, just with, with the vague innuendos yeah. which yeah, yeah, I exactly. think and then the, the mental health stuff like uh, there was yeah, no mental yeah. health stuff mentioned before this this thing so well, what was interesting was whether the mental health was caused by Peter Leahy or whether the mental health issues was caused by the, the backlash they received on Twitter. We don't know. Or do they have mental health issues? Again, if you're talking about unsafe, yeah. if you're talking about personal and sensitive, all this innuendo, and then you pull mental health out, it's another one of those, whoa, yeah. this, you know what I mean? Better not go near that. I, you can't be flippant about mental health. But the thing is, I, I didn't like how mental health was ascribed to a group of 14 players. Surely yeah. mental health is something I'm no expert in the issue but surely mental health is something that's individual and can you just so easily ascribe it to a group of 14 players I didn't like it that like that and it made it more difficult to analyse it and it made the situation more complicated and messy than I think it had to be than it already was and it was already very bad as well yeah. my take is that it was, a, it was a cynical thing to say but like I mean we don't know because like yeah. our mental health 
Like are you just throwing mental health onto abuse at Twitter? Like mental health is a very, very serious illness. Yeah, of course. It's not I felt annoyed, frustrated, uh, sad. That's not mental health. That's what you feel when you're reading stuff that you don't like. Do you know what I mean? I think to, to ascribe mental health to that was wrong. It was and it was a cheap one. But anyways, we'll leave the last word to you, McKenna, who's obviously did an outstanding piece. He says it make this mayo it makes this mayo episode symptomatic of a wider pick and misc form of gender equality. The we share everything but you pay for dinner mentality, which that was a good one. Parity is just when it suits. And while women in sport have been fighting hard for that parity, clearly on this occasion it didn't suit some. So do you want to be treated like a men's team? Do you want a male manager? Are you going to talk about feelings? Are you going to get upset? Is it supposed to be equal? Or does a male manager have to come into a a ladies team like Mayo and not be himself, not be how he would act with a men's team, even like the Westmead ladies team? So maybe it's not even a fair comment about Mm -hmm. gender equality. He's just being the manager that he is. And he's having unsafe personal sense of all these horrible things thrown at him. And like you can't, like Ewan says, you can't call for parity when it suits you like I mean that's the reality of it and I don't think these uh, Mayo um, ladies have done anybody a service out of the, out of all this so we'll move on from that lads because we've probably talked way too much um, about it altogether. so there's been an ERSI study commissioned by the GEA and the GPA so this has come out this week and it used data from a 2016 survey. So uh, some of the uh, results from the study have found that a player can spend up to 31 hours per week under senior intercounty commitments. They comprised on a personal they comprised on personal relationships and general downtime to make time to play intercounty football or hurling. Like I mean 31 hours per week now that has to be the most extreme level. Like I mean that divided by seven is like mm. just over four hours per day so like I mean obviously commutes that's okay if you would maybe believe that for someone from Mayo driving or from du- working in Dublin driving back would be believable but someone from Port Leash playing with the Leash team training in Port Leash you're not going to be anywhere near that 30, 31 hours mark but it just do, it does give an idea of the amount of time that's going in outside of working hours and how player, some players are choosing careers to suit that type of, of commitment. <laughs> yeah, like it's um, it depends sort of what John Sugri has in store for the leash guys. Though. They, might, they might be end up getting up to 31 hours. Like, I think like a lot of this report is talking about players walking away and you know sort of maybe not handling the commitment. But again, I sort of almost bring that back to what we were just talking about. It's like this is the deal. It's it's tough work if you want to be a county star if you want to play at the top level be a should it be sportsman that, should it be that much tough work yeah it's, it's, it's an awful lot it's almost a, a second job I suppose on top of it all 31 hours but um, but that's what it is some managers are going to come in and say listen this is what I need to do to get Sam McGuire that's the thing and that, yeah. this is what they're talking about so just another key finding was the players compromise on sleep and almost half of those surveys are not getting the 8 to 10 hours sleep jeez I'd only be too delighted with 8 to 10 hours <laughs> what about having children hey. <laughs> where does that fit in <laughs> jeez 8 to 10 hours is fairy tale stuff I don't know when's the last time I've had that yeah. but like I mean this is the thing it is the walking away thing but one of the solutions that's coming out of this from the GPA is that there's a player welfare officer in each county board and they're independent and they're taking that power away from the inter-county managers because the thing about this is is that managers will try to flog them and mm. managers will have loads of training sessions if they're getting paid by the training <laughs> session like I mean yeah. that's happening at club level <clears throat> so do you take that power off them and say hang on a minute that's too many hours in a week that's not that you know that player's welfare is at say and not 
kind of be independent from the county board who seem to be kind of at the mercy of inter-county managers. So would the GA appoint 32 independent player welfare officers or would it be like a selection of player welfare officers that visit every county and are kind of accountable for the practice across the board? Is that it? Like yeah, it was more of a suggestion from, yeah. uh, you know, rather than actually, it was from Seamus Hickey, I think, and it was like uh, a national one and then kind of, you know, def- different county boards then have their... My, my thoughts are is that every county board should have an independent CEO with a business background yeah, yeah. and he looks after all this stuff. Like, I mean, you know that he's maybe not from that county so he's not as emotionally invested in if a manager says if we don't do this we won't win I don't care yeah. you're not doing it yeah. do you know yeah. what I mean yeah I would love to see a player actually just put up their actual week you know rather than just retraining this just even like Mark Wahlberg's Instagram story there where he <laughs> laid out exactly what his day was just like going to the gym at 6 o'clock but I had to leave at half 5 or whatever so then you could actually accumulate all these hours because I'm sure you know during January and February they might be in the gym 4 times which might amount to 8 hours of those 31 mm. hours they'd probably be in the gym anyway. Do you know? So As a hobby, yeah. yeah. So sometimes it probably doesn't feel as much as a big commitment than what it would be. I would love to see just a whole yeah. week later. Or is a solution to, like, well, we're talking about condensing the season anyway, but to condense the season so that if it is going to be 31, 30 to 31 hours a week, that it's only for X Certain months of a year, yeah. and then that you have, there's going to be six months then that you're obviously not going to be spending that amount of time because it all comes back to, the argument is still going to be well Dublin did more this year yeah. we need to do more next year yeah. and the only reason we the only way we can do that is spend more time in the gym more time in the training pitch and like a, best of luck to the player welfare officer telling the county telling somebody in the management that they can't that you're not allowed to do it because I've been told that this is the, the guidelines that we've been serving you can't do it so. yeah it's not an easy fix yeah. it's definitely not an easy fix but it's an interesting one John Horan is kind of um, leading this he gave anecdotal evidence of players telling him to chose to be teachers until such time as their intercount careers are over he says maybe we need to look see if we can identify someone who in a neutral way could influence what commitment is there for the players it's not an easy fix he says if we leave it to managers some managers could be the greatest club men when they're with the club all of a sudden they become a different character when they're with the county and tell players not to play with their clubs and we see that all yeah, the time yeah, yeah, like I mean the, Jim McGuinness is an example of that he's a great Glenty's man uh, Glenty's manager won a county title with him then gets in with the county and bans them from playing with the clubs <laughs> do you know what I mean this <laughs> yeah. happens all over the place and they, that's quite, like I don't criticise him for that he's a winner yeah. and they don't mix yeah. completely different levels so I can see where he was coming where he's coming from um, on it so maybe it's something to look out for um, ha- it happens at, at club level as well it's just, it is seeping down like I remember we had a manager from Glentley's Paddy Campbell and his we had a saying like if anybody was going to Belfast for college or work he would sort of come up to them and be like what's wrong with you? I can get you a job down here I'll get you a job hey like you know so then he would just have boys where he wanted boys sort of working close to training so their life would be a bit easier but that was just all focused around club intermediate football right like, you know so it's sort of seeping down anyway into club level and again it's sort of what Connor says is people wanting to just do more than the other team and maybe they will just keep doing that and there's no way of stopping it it's just never stop it's never ends yeah. will it get to a point in four or five years where a manager says you're going to have to give up that job you'll go on the dole because I need you yeah. I, <laughs> now do you want to win in All-Ireland <laughs> it's up to yourselves lads yeah. it's up to yourselves you make the decision yeah. you want to win in All-Ireland give up your job or you want to keep that stupid job and we've no chance yeah. <laughs> that'll be when you're managing the team and then there'll be a, a press conference of players saying they didn't feel safe yeah. in the environment with William Church <laughs> social welfare payments will be out the, out the door right um, Allianz Hurling Leagues could have a new look by 2020 so this is just quickly I'll touch on this so John Horan is talking about 
uh, revamping Division 1A and 1B because we know in the hurling the Division 1A is a shark tank and Division 1B is nice and relaxed mm. and easy and the last two All-Ireland champions Limerick and Galway have come out of 1B so always the talk was you have to be in 1A for competitive games and now people are realising Jesus in 1B you can try loads of players out you can take it nice and easy and build your year up while in 1A you have to start with your first 15 and get get your secure your place in Division 1 and you're hitting the ground in February almost at championship intensity so he's going to combine the two instead of having two and two four teams in relegation he's just going to have the bottom two teams so you've less problem with relegation so what's going to happen with this is that the National League in hurling um, and they're looking to do this in 2020 and I call this on the hurling show lads you might not even see this so this is actually build, leading in it's just going to be a warm up competition for the championship and that's the reality it's going to be try out your panel it's going to be what the 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 January competitions are just a bit longer so the league could take on much less significance uh, relegation is not going to be a threat because there'd be a leash or there'd be a you know one of the weaker teams coming up and down you know so the stronger teams will never really have a, a problem with relegation they'll try out their panels they'll get loads sorted out and then bang into the Munster and Leinster leagues so it's just going to be one big pre-season tournament yeah. again that's been sold as a good thing though that that's what they kind of want it to be is a development for and because the championship now is so packed and hurling yeah. that maybe there's a case to me like I, I don't know I think it'd be better if the leagues were more competitive but when the championship starts in May and there's so many games and so see the many, championship they, is a league now yeah, and that was yeah. the point I was making on the hurling show that the, when the championship's a league what is the league who really gives a shit about that because the league is starting so you yeah. go from a league to a league so the Championship League is going to, you know, outshine the League That's League. your football yeah. championship proposal is so flawed. No, there's only, that's part of the Championship. <laughs> that's the thing. It, the League is a warm-up anyway, isn't it? Like in every well, it kind of, I suppose second. it is. When hurling, it hadn't been for the last few years because Kilkenny, Tip and these teams were winning the All-Ireland, coming out of that competitiveness. And the narrative and the analysis was, you need to be in this. And this is why they're winning because they're getting those you know great yeah. games and you know that's probably the way they're looking at it I just thought I know like this is hurling but I always remember Fintan Kelly's thing this year after he beat uh, Monaghan beat Tyrone and this is a few games left and he said oh now we can concentrate on the championship and it's like what, what's the point of being in Division 1A if the only point is to stay there for next year and you're not really trying to win it anyway it's just as soon as you're in it you're trying to get to a stage where you don't care about it do you know so yeah. you can focus on the championship but isn't that how most a lot of teams are thinking you know at the yeah. moment there's only a couple of teams that have a genuine ambition to win the league at the yeah. start of the year and their, their ambition for the rest of them is just to stay there because relegation from Division 1 would be such a disaster but why is it a disaster if you don't care about it well I don't know I'm just saying that, that, that that's that's the way it is at the moment I know Mayo for example is just the aim has been survival because it's been the team is kind of ageing there's been a lot of injuries and just get through the league stay in Division 1 and then prime yourself yeah. a championship I take your point I think the, it's, it's a psychological thing if you're relegated you're having a terrible year <laughs> and it feeds into the Jesus we're not going well lads you know and yeah. we're not in the top division I think that's it's more of a psychological thing than anything else let's make sure we're not relegated because the relegated teams can't bounce back for the championship although I think the Donegal did the year they won this year yeah when they were relegated I think they did on McGuinness as well um, or no maybe they won did they win the All-Ireland coming out of Division 2 I'm not sure oh they, they won Ulster coming out of Division 2 yeah anyways right the big news in Mayo Connor is James Horan's club Ballantubber have nominated him uh, John Fogarty tweeted this James Horan's club Ballantubber have nominated him to succeed Stephen Rashford nomination given with Horan's approval 
Yeah. So Horan hasn't really come out to he's been vague enough and non-committal about whether he's back in the mix. But Horan's back in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> How's this being received? So it, there's two names in the mix. So there's only two can get it now. And I thought these were going to be on the same ticket potentially, but they're going head to head. Is that fair enough? So Mike's uh, yeah. Solon. I don't, I don't know. Has it been ruled out? Well, maybe that does rule it out if they're going head to head. That he. Well, that they're the only two Solon. nominations. Yeah. So they haven't been nominated. As you have to nominate them on the I'm, same I'm, ticket. I'm not, I'm not sure the politics sure of the that. nomination process works because I know the idea had been floated that. Uh, Michael Solon will potentially come on board as part of James Horn's ticket that he learned the ropes under James Horn and then potentially in a few years having served the apprenticeship with the under 20s and the under 21s one in Ireland with the 21s in 2016 that he might be ready to take on the senior job but I think the thing with James Horn ever since his name has been mooted is that while he hasn't been committed he hasn't ruled it out immediately if, no. he, was, if he didn't want the job he would have said immediately that he didn't want it and he was leaving it up in the air so kind of Mayo people were getting excited about the prospect of him coming back the only thing about James Horn coming back the elephant in the room has been his relationship with the county board that was pretty sour in the last couple of years when he was in charge the first time so how have the county board kind of reacted to the possibility of even coming back on again purely from a fan's point of view um, I, I'd be I'd welcome him back in a heartbeat I think that and he, that would be the general consensus I, I think so I think so um, he like the only reason why it mightn't be the general consensus is oh it's, it's another fate. why can't we get somebody new but like why would you want somebody new when he completely transformed the culture of Mayo football he's been while as like he's been still managing club level he's been in tune with kind of the modern day football with his pundit pundit yeah. roles with Sky Sports etc uh, I'm pretty sure that all the players would welcome him back on board um and just I think he personally would probably relish a shot with this bunch of players that he worked with for so long that if they are going to have another tilt at Dublin the time is running out and I think in the next couple of years he'll, he'll relish that shot so I think um, I think kind of in Mayo the, there, was a, there was a feeling for a while that he had gone off the prospect of the job and that there was there was mooting of, of Jack O'Connor and stuff like that but I think as soon as his name was mentioned at the start as a live possibility I think uh, I think it's going to be welcomed I hope he gets it Right okay Seems to be the popular one, Conan. Anything to say on this? We well, don't know. Kevin McStay, is he, why has he just been ruled out altogether? I think Kevin McStay maybe has been burned and he's kind of done. Yeah. He has well, to be nominated. Like So if he, if, yeah. if Kevin McStay wanted to be nominated, he would get nominated. Kevin so McStay reti- retired from intercounty yeah, management he's in the statement for Ross yeah, yeah, He's so. done, Conan. Get with the programme. <laughs> different to Mayo's, <laughs> different to Ross <laughs> Let's nominate a fella who's retired. That's a that's a great... Uh, <laughs> make sure you, I don't have you on a selection committee for, for the Lex Leash manager. Uh, Parik Fanning, lads. We have a couple more to get through. Parik Fanning. Um, someone I didn't know very much about is the new Waterford hurling manager. So it's a fantastic job. He's not a household name. His hurling career was hampered by a bad leg break at an early stage. He did captain Waterford RTC. This is before it was an IT. I was back there when it was an RTC in 1996. <laughs> Dropped out of there after two months. Anyways, we won't get into that. <laughs> but he was, so he was on Davy Fitzgerald's um, backroom team so he's worked on David Fitzgerald's backroom team with both Waterford and Wexford and he was in with Cheddar in Leash for a couple of years so listen he's if he learned anything from Cheddar he's gone he's gone fairly well and David Fitzgerald obviously a brilliant mentor as well so he's 47 and he reckons that if it's not the right time now 
it's never going to be so he's been around the modern game um, and we know the system David Fitzgerald prefers so it'll be interesting to see what he comes to Waterford with whether he has a new kind of uh, outlook on it but I thought it was an interesting comment that he made he says he's, this is on Davy and what he learned from Davy. so he says the way he manages players individuals he's a superman manager and he's tactically very astute I used to be in charge of the V of the B's versus the A's in the A versus B games and we'd always be trying to get one over on him like I just thought that was a great little quote yeah. like I mean this is yeah. how competitive Davey is <laughs> that his own selectors are going well we want to beat this little <laughs> <laughs> in an A versus B game like it's a classic but he's saying he's only a small little fish after the A versus B game <laughs> <laughs> imagine Davey just being livid at the B's <laughs> but no that like I mean that sums up like and yeah. even that competitive nature in the A versus B's because too often like we might have done that once or twice with Mikko where the selectors would have got involved being the managers of that and it felt like two teams. A lot of the time we'd just pick two teams and they'd play A versus B's on the same thing. But if you create a culture that these are two different, ca- like you're playing somebody else, these are yeah. your enemies and you have a different manager and the fact that there's a competitive edge between Fanning and Davy, this is a brilliant A versus, this goes from just being an A versus B game into a bloody proper game. Yeah. Like, and the, like they're so competitive, like you can even, you can even picture Fanning and David mounting at each other on the yeah, line. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, and they're trying to pull tactical moves out of the, it's just brilliant. I love that kind of stuff. And like, I mean, you know, just, it transforms A versus B's into completely different games. John Sugru, can't say enough good stuff about John Sugru. So, John Sugru has a plan now to introduce divisional football competition which is going to give potential county stars a chance to impress in competitive fair. This is brilliant. So, yeah, so this this is uh, Sugru. So this this is the thing. So obviously there's only four teams left in the Leash Championship. There's so many players that are already out so he can't really see them at the latter stages of the championship and you can't be at every game in the county. So obviously a manager is not going to see all the club games and he wants to see all the players so he's divided Leash into four regions and competition that he's starting up is going to start the week after the county final with the county champions being excluded which will be Port Leash and he'll know all those players anyway so this was in the match programme of the last week's quarterfinals so John Sugru says so the proposed trial tournament will be played on a round robin basis with three, three games on successive weekends top two divisional teams qualify for the cup final and the bottom two divisional teams play in a shield final on the same weekend independent managers will be put in place and put my hand up to to, uh, to train one of them independent management will be put in place for each team and will hopefully give the players the chance to play in a condensed talent type situation we'll be narrowing down the panel of players from this and from there 2019 begins what we hope is that you come out in numbers and join us on the first step so he's even asking supporters to come out and support this it's just a great kind of innovative way of getting your trial games instead of the same old nonsense and pick two teams yeah. this is going to be four sections of of leash it just you know it's just popped into my head is if Dublin did this north south <laughs> how did that go lads did you enjoy it <laughs> anyways but anyways this is a really good initiative from Sugru and like I, you know I'm a big fan of John Sugru we're very lucky to have him and just a nice little thing to do it's class I think every single county in Ireland probably outside of Dublin will be watching this now going Jesus 
we should be doing this. Like, yeah. Dublin time. definitely will do yeah. it, right? Yeah. We can categorically say it. We'll not split it into four <laughs> distinct north, south, east, west. Yeah. But just to get a big crowd out as well. And like, how many times do we talk about junior and intermediate players who maybe don't get a look in? Yeah, that's the their chance to play at the very top, like with, with a select team from certain regions. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I think every county should be following in behind us. Yeah, for trials. Make yeah. something out of something that's usually mundane and a little bit boring outside of for the players involved. Four different sets of jerseys, four different managers and just make a nice little tournament out of something I think it'll attract more potentially more fans than it would for a county semi-final because people have vested interest to see how their club man yeah. is getting on at a divisional, divisional level you know yeah. and the best thing the best thing about this I'm just thinking about Mayo like the best thing about this is nobody can ever say that somebody wasn't given a look in anymore nobody can say <laughs> oh, that yeah. this fella's been doing the business in club for club football yeah. for years and he's never been getting looking well if they don't get a look in in a divisional setup with the county divided, divided into four well then they'll never yeah. get looking again so you would have four 15s which is 60 then five players coming on even at the minimum five subs coming on you've got to, you're looking at 80 players in a competitive situation and then there could be yeah. different teams on the next day and you'd be seeing upwards of 100 players outside you know, of the county setup and outside the county champions so you probably have 50 players from the inter-county panel and the county champions and then another yeah. so that's a hundred yeah. you're talking a lot yeah. of players in the county yeah. Yeah. this, no, this will live beyond Sugar now as well like it's created a little tradition here like, like Kerry when you get the regional teams together to take a cut at the big ones it's but so just simple just, yeah. 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 how is something like this never oh, the great <laughs> ideas are always the simple ones if only we could come up with them so Matthew O'Hanlon just to finish up so we've all seen this video right in Wexford Club Football where the cornerback is running to the, to, the, to the first look it's a bit like the Salah video last night you think geez Salah's a spoiled brat and then you see it again and again and you realise yeah he actually did celebrate it but anyways so the poor cornerback comes running down tries to give this physio uh, a shoulder and ends up on his arse right so number one a couple of things to say on this so the the, the physio is actually an ex-Wexford player or an ex uh, yeah ex-Wexford player he's 6 foot 3 and he's 15 stone this is according to Matty Ford on Twitter so your man just bounces off him so that's grand now I have to be said that the physio was overstepping the mark with the full back even before yeah. this ever happened yeah. he pushed him 100%. and he's no, he's no business doing that so I would have understood if one of the the St. James players came ran down give him a dunt and that's what it kind of looked like but according to Matthew O'Hanlon he says that's my club which is St. James it's not clear from the video but what actually happens is our cornerback made a run for a short kick out and was illegally blocked by the physio as a result the ref sent off the physio to the stands so if you actually look at it again the ball is coming out yeah. now maybe the cornerback saw him and went I can take him man and ball and yeah. ended up in his arse I don't know but he went down so easy maybe it looked a little bit like he wasn't necessarily looking to see yeah. he can't go down that easy he's not bloody wall yeah he seemed to run into him with his chest as well as yeah. supposed to run into him for, with his shoulder yeah. when I saw it first I laughed like everybody because it looked great like, yeah. and it looked like the fellow was trying to give him a dunt and only when I saw that line from Matthew Hanlon that he was running that fast and the ball is there and the guy that's running with him goes to pick up the ball and pretend as if the attack goes on afterwards Um, but just how much you said I 100% agree my pet peeve is officials or physios or water carriers or whatever getting involved with players on the pitch I hate it and I know it was, no, I know it was only a little done. it was nothing but, but it, it's enough to it's inflame not, it's, yeah. it's not it's not your prerogative in any way whatsoever no. to get involved just do what you have to do and get out of yeah. there and don't don't be a nuisance so as you said if somebody did come up and give him a dunt while it doesn't look great he would have been entitled to do it I think I think so yeah. too so get your 6 foot 3 frame 15 stone arse off the field buddy and <laughs> listen and that's it right we'll come back in part 2 we'll talk to Declan McBennett
Come here, I want you to talk us through the goal you scored in the county final after 15 seconds. I want you to tell me when you had goal on your mind. Yeah, you've probably had a few 15 seconds experiences yourself. <laughs> uh, Wake me up, show me what you got, because I don't want no one in it, man. All right, delighted to say RT's new head of sport, Declan McBennett, joins us in studio now. Declan, how's it going? Good, thanks, Carl. We're all very excited here in the GAR because this is a GA podcast. You're the new head of sport in RTE and you are a GA man. So you're our great white hope here, Declan. We're going to see more GA on RTE. Yeah, well, you got it right there, Colin. I'm head of sport. I yeah. come from I come from a GAA background, and I'm very proud of that, and I make no apologies for it. Uh, and obviously, it's the game that I'm sort of most familiar with because coming from Monaghan, it is the game in Monaghan. That having been said, I always have to point out to people that I'm head of sport. So, as I've said to others, whether it's Reese McClellan or um, you know Shane Ryan or whoever it is that's coming home with a medal, that means as much to us in, yeah. in RT terms as as Gaelic games. Gaelic games is huge for us I make no apologies for having a GAA background but I am head of sport and I have to be representative of that Okay so you, well this is a GAA podcast yeah, yeah. so we're just biased for GAA yeah. right so we're allowed we're <laughs> you, allowed can be. you can be <laughs> But right so like the criticism of RTE is that on the national broadcaster right and this was under Ryan Nugent maybe your predecessor is that there's only been four months of GAA on RTE out of 12 right. So a lot of people think that's not enough for a national broadcaster to be given as for a national sport so yeah. I wonder what your thoughts on that are okay we're straight into the criticism that's uh, <laughs> we're off and running okay so uh, this is the, this is the third interview that I've, I've done since I since I got the job as head of sport uh, and in one of the interviews I said that 80% of the criticism of RTE is based around a lack of information or a lack of understanding, uh, particularly around the rights market that we operate. 10% of the criticism, I think, is perfectly justified and 10% of it is, quite frankly, off the wall. So in terms of your specific question around GAA for four months, yeah, we're the primary player in the GAA market in what used to be the five-month window from May to September and is currently now a four-month window because of the concertina uh, uh, calendar. That's down to rights. No, no other reason. It's simply down to rights. So you look at the GAA calendar and you can largely split it in three. You've got National League, you've got Championship, and then you've got Club towards yeah. the end of the year. Um, ultimately, would I like to be in all three of them? Yes. Uh, ultimately, would I aspire to be in all three of them so that we have a presence across the year? Yes. Um, currently, on the basis of rights that's the the market that we are in and we, we, we have the championship rights. Now, I have to say as well as that, any aspiration to get into the league or indeed the club does not in any way detract from those who are currently in the league and the club and who do an excellent job on the league ah, and yeah. the club. But as the national broadcaster, would I like to have a, a, a seasonal footprint? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because that's the thing, because like obviously Ryan Nugent would be seen as a rugby man and they're like obviously it's probably maybe an unfair kind of categorization of him like he was sport like yeah. everybody else yeah. but he is sport. he is black rock and he's a rugby commentator and in the recent past like there's been pro 14 there has been Heineken Cup there has been six nations there's been world cup there's been under 20 internationals there's been women internationals mm. all rugby 
yet in GA we've only got championship like you know like you said so yeah. this is where you know people are looking at this going Jesus thank God for Declan Matt Bennett no now, no, no that, that, that would be a, that would be a really simplistic interpretation of, of what is at play first of all it's an accident of birth that Rail is Blackrock or that I'm Monaghan so, so, so that doesn't come into it secondly you called Pro 12 there which is now Pro 14 yeah. um, it's gone from RTE I know I know you've lost them all he- but you've had them Heineken yeah. well, you've gone from RTE uh, you know Six Nations gone from RTE yeah. because of the rights market and that's indicative of the rights market that we operate in because in the same way that there has been a huge fragmentation of the broadcasters there's been a huge fragmentation of the rights so uh, in the course of the period of time that I've had the job I've met with most of the sporting bodies not all of them because it's been such a busy summer of sport and various different travel arrangements what have you but I've met with the majority of them uh, and and the, the, the point that I put to them is the same point that I will probably put to them for as long as I'm in this job which is there is a balance to be struck for all the sporting organisations between revenue on one side and exposure on the other okay now I fully respect and have to acknowledge that each and every sporting organisation has the absolute right to extract the maximum revenue that it can from its particular rights portfolio in order to reinvest that in the club game or the grassroots structures or whatever terminology you want to use equally there is an argument with regard to exposure and each rights organisation, each sporting organisation has to make a decision at the end of the day between revenue and exposure. And it's quite hard to marry those at times. So you go behind a paywall, you're probably get, getting greater revenue. You go behind a paywall, you're almost certainly getting a smaller audience. Yeah. So that's the balance that has to be struck by the sporting organisations. Now, from my perspective, there's a further factor, which is a budgetary concern. We're the national broadcaster. We're charged with the management of public money. We have to invest public money in a strategic way that doesn't bid public money against public money. And at the same time, uh, deliver a return for a national audience across all codes. So there are limitations there. The financial plight that RTE is in since 2008 is well documented and well publicised. So I don't have a bottomless pit of money and in the good old days I famously remember when we had um, a, a right suite that included Champions League on boat nights Heineken Cup as you, uh, as you called out Six Nations Rugby. We had pretty much outside of the GAA uh, League and Club the full kit and caboodle uh, and it were great times uh, but it's it's before the 2008 crash and since the 2008 crash the global landscape has changed the sporting landscape has changed and the broadcasting landscape has changed yeah. and that, that impacts fundamentally across every sport GAA is no different You you mentioned a rights issue yeah. and I under, obviously understand that so you've got the rights to the championship not the league or not the club but have you been bidding for the league or the club? No because like, the, 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 the league and the club are, are, are not in play at the moment because these are contractual Actual, uh, but what, did con- you did you bid for them before in the last before the start I, of the I last can, contract? I, I can't honestly speak for that because uh, again, in understanding and in trying to explain to people, these are very very sensitive commercial. Uh, negotiations that take place between the various different parties and there are multiple parties involved in in, t- in terms of the GAA the, the sporting organisation and then the various different partners who are bidding that's very very sensitive commercial orga- um, uh, agreements that are at play and there are rightly confidentiality clauses that are at play in there too because of the nature of the agreement so so the truth is I know what's in play now what's, what's, what was in play prior to the 1st of June this year um, 
there's much of it that I don't know uh, and there's mo- much of it that is that is basically faded away into history now so so I can account from the 1st of June onwards prior to that it's 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 trickier okay and just just on the budget like i mean is that something that's improving within RT that are your are your hands going to be tied so since 2008 is there, are things turning around where you're going to see more money being freed up for maybe when it comes I know it's not for another four years before all the rights yeah, are up three, again yeah this is the end of year the end of year two out of a five year cycle yeah. on this so, so so there's three to go are you um, optimistic that money will be freed up potentially you know to get cl- to bid for club or bid for league for example I, I, yeah I would like to think so I think there's a there's a huge commitment and a huge desire within RTE but e- e- equally like I mean and again this is going to sound slightly political but here's here's the context in which we're operating in again it's publicly known in front of all sorts of Oireachtas committees and all sorts of public forums whereby the evasion uh, rate with regard to the RT licence fee is, is is hugely significant and costs us millions of pounds every year when I say us I mean RTE and therefore the public because that money doesn't come into an RTE pot and get distributed among RTE presenters, it comes into an RTE pot and then goes back out either to the sporting organisations or to the arts and culture community or to the very you know the independent production sector who provide the programmes back into RTE commercially everybody's aware of the situation it's the same for Joe it's the same for the national newspaper industry it's the same for anybody who's dealing in advertising you see the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks of the world uh, swallowing up the advertising and commercially it's very very difficult so can I sit here hand on heart and say there's going to be more money in three years time when we come back around again no can I say that there is an absolute desire to have as much money available for sporting rights as we can yeah absolutely Colin O'Rourke said in his piece there just on Sunday I was reading it that RT have been frozen out of the club market like what did he mean by that or do you understand it I don't know is the honest answer uh, Column hasn't said that to me but Column's like ourselves he comes from a GAA background he wants to see as much club action there as possible TG Cahar do a fantastic job on the club Air have been doing a great job on the club so so there's a de- desire on all parts to, 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 to for RTE to, to show more of the club action but in terms of frozen out you know if you've got Let's let's use makey uppy figures here. If you've got a hundred quid uh, and you have to cover everything, uh, and that hundred quid through a drop in commercial revenue and as a result of uh, license fee not coming in drops down to eighty quid, then my proportion of it in terms of the sport budget is likely to drop as well. And then you've got to decide and you've got to make choices. And it's the you're same trying for to, you're trying to plead with the nation to pay their their uh, no, their not, license no, fee. no, I'm not. I'm not trying. Mine's to, paid up to date, fully up to date. I'm sure. I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to plead with anybody but I'm trying to put in context the nature of the environment that we find ourselves yeah. in as I say like I mean well it is a better environment getting a licence fee and commercial revenue yes. say than others you, oh, know, yeah, it I, is a, it, you are in a much stronger position yeah, than others and, 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 and equally I'm not trying to play the poor mouth here I'm trying to put a context in terms of where we're at because RTE is all things to all people as it should be the national broadcaster I, I've spent 19 years in RTE I believe that RTE is news sport uh, and major events and those major events extend from everything from President Obama coming to the country to the Queen coming to the country to the Pope coming to the country to Storm Ophelia Storm Emma the 8th referendum and all that kind of stuff news and current affairs is an expensive business sports rights now because of rights inflation is an expensive business we also have a remit with regard to drama arts and culture Irish language uh, music and entertainment across the board Ah, if if the pie drops 
then sport takes a hit in that. And we've seen that. Like, you know, again, it's a matter of public record. We've lost a number of sporting contracts. That's not down to any one individual, any one department, or any lack of willingness. It's down to a financial market and a fractured uh, market, which takes me back to the point whereby sporting organisations, including the GAA, have a decision to make. Revenue, exposure. That's the decision for them. And that's a critical decision. And I understand both sides of the coin. Trust me, I do. And if I was in the GAA side, I'd say maximise the revenue, but maximise the exposure. And striking the balance between those two is very, very difficult. I think the golf is moving back, isn't it? Or is it moving back to BBC again for more exposure rather than the subscription channels where, like, I mean, will you get as good... the same level of sponsorship if less people are watching it you know so there is that balance obviously for that's, them to that, that's the balance that's yeah. the balance like it wasn't the last major in the in the US the first one not to be shown on linear TV it went back yeah uh, so, so you know you could watch it on the app or you could watch it wherever but, 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 but that's just a further indication as to how far the market has splintered and, and how many players are in the market uh, and, and some of them are backed by be it hedge funds or otherwise which whereby they, they'll gamble with money we're, ours is public money and we're very lucky to get it you're right we have a commercial model we have a, a, a license fee model but but the, but, but the pie is shrinking uh, and the demands are still the same and, and that's difficult and as head of sport I have to be cognizant of that I have to be aware of it I have to fight the corner which is what my department would expect me to do and what people expect me to do uh, and then I have to like let me give you one example the hockey team the women's hockey team this year um, fabulous, fabulous achievement getting to a World Cup final uh, and we were lucky enough through through negotiation w- with the, the head of TV sport, Leon O'Leary, uh, did a great job in securing those rights for us and that became part, uh, we were part of a, almost a national um, desire to embrace this team because they were brilliant, they exceeded all expectations, they were female which would had a particular resonance as well uh, and they exceeded all expectations and they did it with a smile on their face. We have to bid for those rights uh, and getting in on the back of those rights creates for us a national momentum and helps the, the sporting federation. So uh, everything that goes to hockey, everything that goes to um, gymnastics, everything that goes to the European Championships, that's all part of the same pool. Yeah. Another, another thing Colin O'Rourke mentioned in his piece, and it's something I've said on the podcast a good bit, is that the provincial club championships that are going to be coming up in October yep. and November they're huge they're Correct. brilliant they're exciting yep. I'd love to see a Sunday game that night after that you know are highlights are, are highlights rights decided for that because there no one yes. shows yeah. that's on TG4 on yeah. the Monday night that's exclusive and there's no one else yeah. again, can I, you get I, in there on that uh, well you see I, I, again uh, this is tricky for me Colm and I'm not trying to be coy with Obviously, you but I'm trying yeah. to explain there's a rights in, in, uh, agreement in place with regard to these various different championships we have the highlights for the Sunday Sunday, Sunday game. Others hold the rights for Only other for nights. Championship, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, 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 so that makes it very, very difficult uh, for everybody. But yeah, look, I remember going back to, I remember a classic game back in the early 80s between Scottstown and Devonish in Clontibber in a really, really wet day. It was a horrible day. I remember going up and watching Enda Muldoon playing for Ballanderry probably 15, 20 years ago and he put on an absolute exhibition in the Ulster Championship. They're great games. Everybody loves them. Everybody would love to have more exposure. Um, certainly I'd love 
love to have more exposure at that time of, uh, time of the year. You look at the club, like the club is, is, is at the very heart of what the GAA it's is. It's getting bigger though. It's getting, it's getting much bigger, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's great to see. Look at Kula coming, coming out and effectively out of nowhere in the last two years uh, and, and, and winning the All-Ireland. You know, I, I, I live in South Armagh. Cross Madlen are only up the road. Uh, you know, you, you think of the, the greats in the club game. You're thinking Cross, you're thinking Nemo, you're thinking of clubs like that. Um, I have a, f- a great appreciation for the club. It's where I came from. I wasn't good enough to play county at the highest level, but but so I, I yeah I believe in the club. But but again, you know, at the risk of sounding slightly repetitive here, small sm- a small amount of money, rights negotiation, everything tied up, three year deal. It becomes very very difficult. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I want to move on to pundits here, which yeah. because you had some interesting things to say. Um, you said about your pundits, they can be critical of formats, structures, tactics, and systems, but yeah. they cannot be critical in a personalized way of individuals. I've no time for, nor will I tolerate personal attacks on individuals. Yeah. What would you describe as a personal attack? Something that's not either information-based or informed opinion. So uh, the example that I've stated on, on, on numerous occasions is, uh, and I'm not going to name names here because it would be... Brolly and Kavanagh. Pardon? Brolly and Sean no, Kavanagh. No, no, time, no, no. I wasn't talking about pundits. What, oh. I was, what I was talking about is if if you want to tell me uh, or if, if a pundit wants to come on or an analyst or a co-commentator comes on an RT platform and says, I don't think that manager is good enough to win an All-Ireland with that team because they've conceded 11 goals in the, in the course of the league. They are defensively suspect. And, and if you look at the other three teams in the division or the other three teams left in the semi-finals, they've conceded one goal, two goals and four goals. Um, then I think that's a perfectly legitimate criticism yeah. because it's informed and there's a degree of fact yeah. behind it. If, if somebody wants to go off and say that the same manager is, uh, and I'm trying to pick my words carefully here is a clown or doesn't know what he's doing that's not informed yeah, and, yeah. and there's no there's no fact behind that you know the individual be it hurling or football is evidently not a clown he's been appointed on the basis that he he or she is the best person for that job they've taken the team to a certain level their record may indicate that they've actually significantly achieved and in some cases overachieved yeah. so so uh, there are uh, there are three criteria in my head to get a seat on, on an RT panel uh, and I'm happy to go through those if you want there's three, three criteria to get through number one you have to have credibility so you have to have some form of record behind you that says this individual male or female is absolutely credible number two you have to have an informed opinion uh, that, it, that, is, that elevates you above what I'm going to hear in the pub or the terrace or something like that that you're bringing something uh, that either informs or educates uh, the audience that is watching and number three you have to have the ability to articulate that opinion and what I mean by that are you work in a broadcast environment many people who don't won't understand this in some cases you may get 20 seconds or 30 seconds to form the point that you have to make you have to have the ability to do that so there are a lot of people around the country who are very very knowledgeable but you put them in a broadcast environment either radio television or online and ask them to articulate their point in 30 seconds and with lights on them with cameras on them filled with and and somebody screaming in their ear we're going to an ad break and it becomes very difficult for them so they're the three criteria that I set in in order to get what I call a chair on an RT panel. Once you get that chair, there are then, and this sounds slightly formulaic, but there are two further criteria that I set out that, that have to be adhered to. One is that you give an informed opinion as opposed to an opinion for opinion's sake that you think is going to grab headlines. It's an informed opinion. Or secondly, that it's information-based analysis. So again, if you can tell me um, that that 
the you know the manager has con- the manager has uh, presided over a team that has conceded three goals in in the National Football League and are likely to do well, or the manager has conceded twelve goals over the course of games. Then defensively, you've got to ask questions about that team. So information based uh, analysis or informed opinion. Right. That's 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 the point that I was making, okay. and that doesn't involve the personal. So um, one of the, one one of the things that we've done this year uh, is uh, people like Lee Keegan and Michael Murphy were introduced into the Sunday game once their team had been knocked out of the championship. Yeah. Right? And was that on your recommendation, or well, it, it, it's it, just being done? Recommendations it, probably. Uh, I have a very very good what I consider to be a very very good and what many people consider to be a very very good GAA team who manage the championship. We will bounce ideas off each other. I'm the head of sport, therefore I reserve the right to give my opinion and then I let them get on with their job but uh, it's something that I wanted to see because again you'll see from that article that I the the interview that I gave to Gaelic Life I said about there were um, 13 analysts across our GAA coverage on the first Sunday that I took over they were all male and they averaged at 53 yeah that's too old yeah well well, hang on a second you see this is not an age thing column and this has either been misinterpreted or in some cases misrepresented there is a balance to be struck I I, I was at the, the the best game in many sense that I was at this year was the, the Monaghan Kerry game in Clonus. And I look around the crowd that's in front of me. It's not 53-year-old men. There are all sorts of demographics there. There are all sorts of um, people there from various different backgrounds. And the point I was making, and it was that was interpreted in some quarters as being ageist. The point that I make is it's got nothing to do with age because you bring somebody with uh, age, expertise, experience, yeah, but it, it also has to be represented but it also comes through. So yeah. Michael Murphy and Lee Keegan are representative of of, of a younger generation who are playing the game at the moment and they form the perfect foil with the older generation who have seen the evolution of the game yeah. r- going back to the to the team of the greatest team uh, the four, well the four in a row team what was previously the greatest team in my lifetime of, of Kerry now to the four in the row team so I'm just wondering why it took until this year to figure this out you know because like I mean it's very obvious to me that having three men of a similar generation on a panel wasn't representative of the, maybe the modern game and it, it, like I remember it often fell into with O'Rourke, Brawley and Spillane where I like all three of them mm-hmm. it, it got very repetitive and often Michael Lester's first question to them would be did you enjoy that and then they would get into it and a, a, the same it got very repetitive the same analysis of I didn't enjoy it and while a lot of people would be of the same opinion often and I I've shared their philosophy on the game and I don't like a lot of the games mm-hmm. it just got samey it got so samey that it was like jeez they're not off on this again <laughs> well okay that's your interpretation of it and, and, and like My- Michael uh, has been and is a brilliant broadcaster yeah a brilliant no, I presenter. want to be respectful so, of, of yeah, Michael so, well. so, uh, and, and he did his job brilliantly and we'll be sorry to see him go although Joanne will be a, a, a more than able replacement and a, a brilliant presenter in her own right when she when she comes along but but the, the, th- the three lads you see again this is this this should not and, and, and will not be interpreted as being ageist. The three lads all have credibility. They all have an informed opinion and they all have the ability to articulate that opinion. Now, the very nature of panellists are they're sub- subjective. Some some will be like Marmite. People will love one individual and not be as keen on others. What, what, what I have said is, across the board, going back to that first Sunday in terms of the 13 and the average age of 53 is, I want a representative balance. Uh, and l- let me give you Cora Staunton, for, for, for example, who we've used on, on radio a lot this year. 
Is Cora credible? Absolutely. Does she have an informed opinion? Absolutely. I, I sat out, sat in the car in the car park after the Galway Mayo game this year in Castle Bar, uh, and Cora was on with Marty Marcy, and Cora said, in terms of Mayo today, they had no forwards, they had no leaders, they had poor discipline. They found one player in the league who was a defender, and we don't need defenders, we need forwards, uh, and and they weren't up to standard today. And she did that in twenty seconds. So I sat there and I went. Now, there's somebody who, who needs to be heard and should be given a national um, platform in order to articulate her views because credible, informed opinion, uh, information-based analysis and the ability to articulate it. The other side of it is, um, quite frankly, I've got a nine-year-old daughter uh, who plays Gaelic football. She needs to have role models. She needs to be able to see that the Sinead Hearns, the Caroline O'Hanlons, the Cora Stauntons that are in Crow Park, the Anya Sullivans, whoever it is, that she can aspire to that level. And 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 if I go back to the game in Clonus, where I was sitting in the at the Kerry Monaghan game, there are women around me. They play the game. They coach the game. They co- coach their youngsters. They bring them along. Their opinion, provided it's credible, informed, and ability to articulate it, is just as valid as as somebody else's. Now they may not all have the 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 uh, the record of all Ireland medals and Celtic crosses in their back pocket, but it doesn't mean they're not representative. And 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 as you know, Gaelic games across its various different codes is something that everybody needs to embrace. Record crowd for the ladies final last Sunday. This is a game that's growing. So I I, I don't. It, it, it doesn't mean that you're throwing the baby out with the bat water when you say they're all men and they're 53. It means that you're striking for balance that makes it representative to the entire audience. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, to me, is important as the national broadcaster that we represent that. But, like, the ageist argument, I, I, I quote people like um, Donald Lenehan in rugby, our best rugby analyst by, by a country mile. Now, I met Donald in the office yesterday. Donald would be the first to admit he's not in the 20 or 30 bracket. But he's absolutely brilliant. So it's nothing to do with age. It's about striking the balance. It's about, yeah, about different age profiles on the same panel. Yeah, maybe like that. Is it difficult to get strike the balance between having an entertaining panel and doing analysis? Because a lot of people would see RTE as being entertaining, but light on analysis and say Sky is too much analysis and very little enter- very little debate or entertainment. You've answered your own question uh, in terms of the balance. If one is entertaining and the other is overly analytical, where's the balance in between? Yeah. Uh, but, but, but again, like an awful lot of this is based on, on time. Uh, and, and I'll put that in the context of two things. A live game, you may be going from a two o'clock game that finishes at 2.35 with three ad breaks to go, trying to do a build-up to a four o'clock game. So in total, the analysts may have five or six minutes to both inform engage, entertain yeah. and analyse and then you go to the nighttime programme and here's to go back to your highlights programme here's one of the biggest problems that we face uh, in RTE particularly in a Sunday game context we could have 15 games to get through and maybe uh, along with maybe Camogie depending on the time of year and depending on qualifiers that could be 17 games on another night you could have 3 games so if you want to do analysis you know and give the scope and give the depth when I talked earlier on about the 10% of criticism that I think is perfectly legitimate I'll tell you part of the reason where I'm coming from there if you're from the so-called weaker counties or the so-called lesser counties right in, in, this, in the structures that we currently have and, and your team goes out and plays the championship and you see two minutes of it on the Sunday game that night you get you get extremely frustrated. Yeah. Part of the problem is we've got ninety minutes to cover seventeen games one week. We've got ninety minutes to cover fifteen games the next yeah. week, and we've got ninety minutes to cover three games the following week. Just, just to pull you up on that though, yeah. and that's where a lot of the frustration is, is that you have ninety minutes to 
to cover those games yeah. and that's not easy yeah. but you spend most of it covering the two games that were on the television earlier on that day so like I mean which you're are losing, invariably the big games but GA fans will have seen them you know they and they're on the player so you can go see them if you're really passionate you want yeah. to see them you've, they're there yeah but instead of spending all that, like uh, the amount of frustration you would have after sitting at home watching the two matches and then you're back on saying, geez, uh, there was an example this year of uh, Longford had beaten Mead, Carlo had beaten Kildare. Yeah. There was two big hurling games that day. Yeah. Um, they were both on RTE. They were both on Radio 1. And then the Sunday game starts with extended highlights of them. And, and you, we're all seeing on Twitter, Jesus, Carlo have just beaten Kildare. Longford have beaten Mead. That's unbelievable. And then we're like, Surely that's a night where you might go with the lesser counties and go. Hurland's had its okay. had a big. Okay, ha- well, you know? I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be governed too much by Twitter for a start. No, but um, th- but I but I but I take your point in general. Second thing about it is there are again there are logistical concerns around this that sometimes have to be balanced by editorial. On many levels, if we had a multi-camera OB at the Carlo game, of course we would lead off with the Carlo game. But here's the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. In many cases, we could have a full OB on the two live hurling matches of the day. So you've got multi-cameras, anything from 9 to 11 to 13 to 15, depending on the time of year, okay? With the Carlo game at the qualifiers, you could have a mini OB with three to four cameras, or you could have a single camera OB. Now, a single camera OB is not what you're going to lead off the 9 o'clock news for, because it becomes very difficult. Editorially, I take your point. You'd love to see something different. But it's not not as simplistic as that, because you've got... a budget issue then again, isn't it? You've got got to get the balance. Yeah, well, it's partly a budget issue, but it's also, like, I mean, there's a reason why the two big games are the two big games of the day they're also likely to provide in many cases the main talking points of the day and they deserve a degree of analysis and arguably this year no not arguably certainly this year the hurling championship went to a whole new level so the level of analysis that was required to explain why we had the summer of hurling that we have and what made it the summer is perfectly legit now if you're from to use your example Carlo or one of the other counties of course you want to see more but the, but but what you've got to understand is to go back to the point on some days some Sundays this year we've had three games to analyse on other Sundays we've had 17 games to analyse there's an imbalance there the season as you well know and I don't have to tell you has been concertina yeah. it's gone to four months so the other criticism of us this year was that there were games that weren't seen particularly the Monaghan Tyrone game the first game yeah. that ended up as an absolute classic with a wonder score from Conor McManus you hadn't taken over by then that's very <laughs> obvious that's, that never would have happened but, right? but, 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 but why didn't we see that well the reality was that we had tough choices to make and they were made you're right they were made in advance of me taking over but there were two brilliant hurling matches did, did, on that day did you, did you push the GEA at the start of the year because the GEA I remember Tom Ryan came out at the start of the year and says we're happy with the agreement that we had last year and yeah. I was thinking what kind of a ridiculous thing is that to say when we've got way more games how can you be happy with last year when it's just not the same you're not playing with the same hand we're like were you pushing them to get more games and like you know you had the obviously the agreement but that's not the agreement you had is not what we have you know what I mean what you yeah. had this year okay so, so, the, so the agreement that we have the rights contract that we have predated the change in the structures uh, and the, under, the, the, the agreement that was made in terms of verbal agreement would be that there would be a review at the end of this year to see how it worked because there are a multitude of, of, of issues that have arisen this year for Crow Park for the fixtures committee for the broadcasters etc etc so in the next couple of weeks we will sit down with Crow Park and go okay what were the issues for you what were the issues for you this year was in many regards a finding your feet scenario because the hurling format changed and the Super 8s came yeah. in and it was basically throw everything up in the air to a degree and, and let's see how this year plays itself out now I think if, you were, if we were to be back here in 12 months time we would 
would probably see some changes and and but but it, it's been a learning curve for all of us in the sense that you know the, the Newbridge issue the uh, provincial winners not getting home advantage in the in the first round of the Super 8s the Crow Park games for Super 8s whereby the beauty of Crow Park is you know it's it's the theatre of dreams in a GAA context the problem for Crow Park is you put 50,000 people in it and you don't see the 50,000 that are there you see the 32,000 that are not there so there's an so there's an issue there yeah. so at the end of at the end of this season in the next couple of weeks we'll have that review and talk to me can I just pull you up on the the, the package reports yeah. right so pull me up well, away I was at the Leash Wexford game a live game down in Wexford Park and it went to extra time brilliant comeback by Leash right the, the package it was 90 minutes in total between extra time uh, injury time yeah. the whole lot unbelievable drama and excitement yeah. the package was 2 minutes 27 seconds now I understand that like on match of the day or something it's very easy to get everything in because very little happens in soccer and that's much easier so it's difficult in GA to get the all the highlights into that but like I mean I remember thinking I got no flavour of what actually happened on that day was it was, a, 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 I, I don't remember the game specifically no, but, a, but was a, it a Saturday or Sunday it was a Saturday evening game ok qualifier now, it or was a, a quarter final of the Le- in Leinster Championship. Okay, so it was so, but the thing about it was, and I was thinking, geez, the Sunday game could actually lead off with this. It was that good. Yeah. Now there was only one camera at the game, and the camera was set up. There's a terrace on one side, mm. and it was just on the top of that terrace. It wasn't even mounted up high, so it was almost like at standing yeah. level. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way. Go ahead. But I was thinking, like, you're the national broadcaster with exclusive rights to yeah. this championship. Yeah. And this is the best that we can get as viewers. One camera on top of a terrace. Like, oh. I mean, that's a exclusive. No one else... Like, if the budget is that tight... Yeah. Like, I thought that that was seriously shortchanging people for a Leinster quarter, Leinster quarter final. Okay. So, uh, again, le- le- let, me, let me ask you a question. Give me an idea of how much you how 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 much you think it is to put an a, an OB an outside broadcast unit in to give uh, due uh, cognizance and recognition to a game of that status. I would have no idea. Exactly. So 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 this is my point. But my point is that if the budget is that tight, why have you got national rights? Would it be better off if you? maybe had half those rights and put everything into it so that you can give a proper kind of reflection and let someone else in that might actually have some, some budget. Do you, know what, do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, if it's gone that thin, then why have you got exclusive rights if there's only one camera at a Leinster quarterfinal? Be, be, okay, well, and I'm sure you'll be happy to put the same criticism to others who don't turn up in the Ockrams, don't turn up in the in, in the own bags, don't turn up in, in, in Navin at times. Because, look... There is a finite number of outside broadcast companies who are out there. And one of the points of the review this year actually will be for both uh, Sky as, a, as the broadcast, the other broadcaster in the championship and ourselves is given the number of games concertinaed into such a, a tight season, particularly when we went to replays this year, it was virtually impo- nigh on impossible to get enough staffing to do the OB units. So it's not as if, you know, there's 10 OB units sitting out there and RT won't pay for them. In many cases, the staffing levels are such that we have to cover 17 games. 17 yeah. games could involve 50 plus cameras yeah. that's 50 plus can, people can, can that's 50, no hang on a second on. that's 50 plus wages like the, the, the budget is, is, is it's never used as an excuse it's used as an explanation so it, yeah I can understand the frustration of people who say there was only one camera and there was only two and a half minutes but it's on a game on a weekend when there could be 15, 17, 18 matches many of which are in different locations many of which to go back to your point on the terraces 
turn up at grounds that don't have media facilities and you've seen this yourself whereby you don't have broadcast facilities you don't have towers you don't have an elevated uh, position now many of the grounds are fantastic let's not take away from, from them but depending on the ground that you're you're operating in I've gone to grounds uh, in years gone by whereby there's huge big girders and again this is not unique to the GAA I was at a soccer ground two weeks ago and I was in the stand uh, and my view was blocked on both sides I couldn't yeah. see it and this is a this is a can, can serious you see, game, team in, 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 in soccer Can you see the TV rights going a little bit like the radio rights because I remember when we were in News Talk obviously you were the main radio rights holder so you got the best game and then we took the game that you didn't want mm. like for example if it came to a situation where you couldn't stretch to send a full OB crew down to Wexford Park that that would be like a third choice game and somebody you know what I mean somebody else could come that's, in or is that, that how that, that, that's ultimately a decision for the, G, for the GAA yeah it's more of a GAA decision it, it's yeah. ultimately a decision for the GAA like I mean the tender the GAA come in um, they, they put their their contractual obligations on the table everybody bids and, and, and it takes it from there yeah it's done well, different than radio though isn't it it's like exclusive and you have you have it there well it's, it's the TV rights are no longer exclusive because Sky obviously have their yeah have their games yeah the, just on the highlights rights because I have a lot of sympathy for the Sunday game like 17 games is absolute madness and there's no solution for this like I mean it's just not possible to give people what they want I, on that no under the current yes, agreement okay yep. now if you get highlights rights for Monday night and Wednesday night so you could on the Wednesday night for example you could an- analyse the two big games that are on television you could show more you could show football on Sunday night and hurling on Monday night and alternate them yeah obviously everybody knows well, maybe not everybody knows, but you don't have the rights outside of Sunday night. Correct. Which I've contact, contacted Croke Park because this really frustrates me. Right. Why would the GA curtail highlights rights? Why would they, like, I've actually said this to them. I won't say who I said it to. Why would every different broadcaster not get the highlights rights and do what you can with them? And let's have lots of different shows, see who's, you know, who's doing a good job on it. Why, like, Sky do nothing with their highlights, which is completely out of order. TG4 do a little bit on a Monday and you've, you're stuck with Sunday. No, like, we would love to do a highlight show. We, don't have, we can't do them. Like, I think that's so restrictive and it doesn't promote the game. And I think the GA are shooting themselves in the foot. And I'm just wondering, is this something you will go back as the main rights holder and demand and say, look, Jesus, we're, what do you want here? Do you want to promote these games? We want to do more, show, more shows. Yeah. We're stuck on a Sunday night. Yeah. Let's rip up that part of it and let's... Okay, Move on. okay. Okay. Well, look, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be difficult on your language here, but <laughs> number one, we we don't go and make demands of anybody. Number two, we're not talking about ripping up legally binding contracts. But I, but, but in general, I absolutely take your point. Um, would we love to show more? Yes. Like we are in the evolution of a process that, if you go back a number of years ago, the rights agreements were fundamentally different. Crow Park, to their credit, and I will give them absolute credit on this, have done a phenomenal job with regard to their rights in terms of certain specifics including maximising the revenue from there which allows them to reinvest in the clubs which allows them to build stadiums which allows them to plough it back into the grassroots I absolutely get that but Crow Park along with every other organisation at a point have to make a decision between revenue and, and, and exposure okay yeah. so but sorry I, I, just could you yeah. up there if they sold the highlights rights to more than just three Sure, they will make more revenue, but that's it. But they that, won't. They'll get less from the three, but they'll get more from other. Okay, places. but that's a, that's a decision for Crow Park. Yeah. That's not a decision for me as head of sport. But but let, let me explain my point to you, right? 
I have a five-year-old son and a ten-year-old son, okay? And I'll give you two examples as to what I'm talking about. After the Monaghan Kerry game that I've now referred to three times, um, uh, I came out at Clonus and Marty Morrissey was doing the Marty squad from the Roadcaster. And standing at the Marty squad was Jack O'Shea and Nudie Hughes ready to be interviewed by Marty, right? Uh, And I was there and I pointed to my son and I said, James, that's Jack O'Shea. That's one of the greatest players ever to play the game. He's an absolute legend. He was brilliant and he's from Kerry. And without missing a beat, my 10-year-old son said, but what about the Gooch? And I said, yeah, the Gooch was brilliant and he was a brilliant player, but Jack was a different player and Jack was like the Gooch to me. The point that I was making was that, and it goes back to to, 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 to what we were talking about earlier on, Every generation needs its heroes. To me, Jack O'Shea's goal in 81 and what Jack O'Shea did and that team with, you know, Ogie and Jer Power and Mikey Sheehy and Pat Spillane, absolute legends. To my 10-year-old son, Gooch is the legend. Stephen Cluxton is the legend. Dean Rock, you know, Kieran Kilkenny. These are the heroes of today. My five-year-old son goes around the house singing the Mo Salah song. He knows who Aubameyang is and he knows that Giroud now plays for Chelsea and used to play for Arsenal and he's five years old, okay? Now you take um, Kean Lynch, Aaron Gillan, Patrick Horgan, Seamus Harnley, any of those players, take them outside of their county and tell me how many of the kids at five or ten years of age will recognise those individuals. So that's my argument with regard to revenue and exposure. By all means, absolutely exploit the revenue to the maximum because you're reinvesting it. But the exposure argument is that my five-year-old should know beyond Conor McManus and beyond Dean Rock and beyond, uh, you know, all the other players that you can think of. But But the exposure to make heroes for the next generation, because please God, in 30 or 40 years time, my now 10 year old will stand with his son or his daughter and say, that's the Gooch Cooper. Uh, yeah, but 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 dad, he's not, you know, Sean White or whoever the new hero is for him. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of exposure, that we take these guys and we give them maximum exposure on a national broadcaster and not in any way taken away from Sky, not in any way taken away from TG Cahar, but we make Aubameyangs and Giroud's and Mo Salas and Bobby Firmino's. Like Bobby Firmino on, 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 on Tuesday night, scoring in the last minute. David Clifford scoring in the last minute. That's the fourth time I've referred to that kid. <laughs> w- with seven men between him and the far corner when he hit the ball. Brilliant t- photo in the Irish Times the next day. Yeah. Seven men. The two Hugheses, the two Wileys, Carl O'Connell, Rory Began and Desi Moe. Seven between when Starr knocked it down to him, when Clifford got the ball. There were seven men between him and the far corner and he found it. That's the genius of David Clifford off both feet. You know, most players couldn't hit that shot because they'd, they'd be, you know, they, w- they wouldn't be on their right side. That's the genius of David Clifford. So, in the same way I talk about Jacko and my 10 year old talks about the Gooch, the next, my five year old will talk about David Clifford in years to come as the genius that he, uh, please God, will turn out to be. Yeah. And that's the difference between revenue and exposure. By all means, get the revenue, but also expose these guys in the best possible sense, not exploit, expose, yeah. so that they become heroes for the next generation. Is an issue with the highlights rights that um, RTE, TG4, and Sky have, I'm right saying Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday, or Sunday, Monday, Saturday, I think Air might have Wednesday, whatever the deal is. But all these bro- all you broadcasters that have the highlights rights on that night want exclusivity on that night. So that's where the the, the flexibility is kind of can, you know under pressure uh, really with the highlights rights. Y- y- you're not entirely correct, but for for reasons of confidentiality, I'm not going to necessarily correct you. But it's 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 more complex than that. But also, uh, um, I wasn't involved 
involved in the negotiation of the last contract so I can't tell you that RTE went in and demanded exclusivity I sincerely doubt it quite frankly but but there was a model drawn up okay and 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 that's the model that we currently have would I like to see the current model changed? Yes. But there's a contract in place. Next time round, when the contract's up for, 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 for negotiation, I think there'll be a different set of arguments. But, 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 but currently, uh, it's difficult uh, it, it, because there are certain constraints there within the current rates agreement. OK. Just to finish up, yep. in three years' time, you're going to hopefully, you'll be still head of sport <laughs> in RTE. Um, everything will be going well. What's your ideal scenario realistically? You know, like, what will RTE have that would be on your list with okay. GAA obviously w- w- okay specifically with GAA but again I have to say like you know uh, uh, it sounds slightly political but it, everything has a context I'm the head of sports so we have all the significant co- uh, soccer qualifiers for the Euros and the World Cup we've the next Olympics in Tokyo we've the next Euros and we've the next World Cup there are people who have emerged this year like the hockey people and like Reese McClellan in the, in the gymnastics who are equally deserving of national exposure uh, and, and the rowers that we saw at, at the weekend. National moments on a national broadcaster. So I have to be head of sport across the board. But if you want my scenario with regard to yeah. GAA, it's that we are sufficiently well funded in order to reinvest the funds into sports rights to broaden our portfolio across the GAA season. So we have a seasonal footprint in order to create the David Clifford uh, sorry to create sounds because we've no role in creating David Clifford in order to allow for the exposure that the David Cliffords of today and the Aaron Galans and those guys deserve so yeah. that they're coming through so that if so you take have a year round year round seasonal footprint, so seasonal footprint. That, that's what I call it a seasonal footprint with that, improved that, highlights rights potentially a, a seasonal footprint across the board okay. across the board like you know uh, do we need I think that's what everybody wants I think that's what everybody wants yeah and 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 I'm sure over the course of time everybody can work towards that. But 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 there is a balance for the broadcasters to be struck between the demands that are on their funds and what they have available to them. And there's a demand to be struck between for the sporting federations across the board, including Crow Park, between revenue and exposure. Uh, and and that's that's the point that I that I kind of beat the drum about. By by all means, extract but also allow for the fact that we need to create the heroes of tomorrow. I was in Geneva last week when, when, when you phoned me about this interview um, and I listened to Sebastian Coe uh, because he was talking about the Athletics Federation and, and, and he said, we will live or die because athletics are slightly concerned that Usain Bolt and Mo Farah as the two global superstars are fading off the thing and every generation brings along. Seb Coe said we will live or die by our ability to attract the next generation okay so for the next generation again Jack O'Shea Gooch Cooper David Clifford you know uh, Barney Rock Dean Rock and the next the next Dublin player that comes along you know go back to the great Galway team of the 60s then you've got Michael Donlan and Porrick Joyce and you've Shane Walsh and Damien Comer coming now it's about creating for each generation these guys and therefore I've obviously picked the footballers there in, you know in Cork you can go to the Kevin Hennessy's and the John Fenton team right through to the the Low Rock team and now through to the Seamus Harmony team you know so there is a there's there's a I think there's an onus on us column and I think there's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for there's an onus and an expectation and there's there's something in our DNA particularly as the national broadcaster and I don't take away from Joe or, or, or the national newspapers or anybody else there's an onus on us to to to, to have the game that we have and and we don't create the heroes 
but we show the heroes do what they do so if there's going to be a Messi and there's going to be a Ronaldo and there's going to be a Zidane then equally in, a, in an Irish context there's going to be a, 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 you know whoever you want to pick a, a Jimmy Keaveney from the, from the 70s through to a, a you know a Joe Connolly at the captain of the Galway team right through that th- these moments the Anthony Daly's the Seamus Darby's you think of Crow Park you think of the moments in Crow Park you know but whether it's Joe McDonough singing Joe, Joe Connolly's speech Anthony Daly lifting the trophy go to Armagh o two I was there go to uh, Tyrone in o three Wexford in ninety six you know Clare back in ninety seven you see what it does for a county and the the thing that I keep telling people is in all the stats that are thrown around, there is no device that will measure what Limerick did for hurling this year. You know, I can quote you numbers for how many people watched it, how many people listened, all that kind of stuff. There is no device on this planet that can measure what Limerick did for Hurling this year and what Limerick did for five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds in Limerick because that social fabric means that there's a desire there on the Sunday night, the Monday night, the Tuesday night, the Wednesday night to go out and lift a hurler, kick a ball or whatever it is. Yeah. And and I, I like... I, I believe that RTE have a role in that Okay Listen Declan I've taken up enough of your time Thanks very much for coming in No problem um, That's all we've time for this week We'll be back on Monday as usual So we'll talk to you then Good luck I'm not finished yet It took me a long time to get here Both parents have, have spoken with each other And uh, um, they regret what happened They've had a frank discussion with each other And they're, they're both of them are keen to, to Now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shot next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com.